I invite you to stand either in your heart or physically before God as we read his word from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, from the book that we love. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. The first book in the trilogy that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Most of us know about Frodo, who is at the center, and he has the destiny to destroy the ring. But it's a fellowship, right? With Frodo is Gandalf, the wizard, is Arion, the future king, elves, humans, and other hobbits also play a role. And then there's Frodo's best friend, Samwise. They act more like a duo throughout the trilogy rather than a hero who simply has a sidekick. They're in it together. His writing differs quite a bit from what we might see at the movie theater in another series called Mission Impossible, where it's one man Tom Cruise, against the world, or at least against the evil of the world. As Christians, in our spiritual journey, we might tend to personify or act a little bit more towards mission impossible. It's me against the world rather than the fellowship of the rings. That doesn't seem to be the plan that Jesus laid out in the Bible. As I shared last Sunday, and I'll keep sharing again, we can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the practice of Jesus. We can't separate the person of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and expect to get the same results that Jesus got. We're going to look at this as how the church began in Acts 2. Now, Acts 2 is a very familiar passage. As I read it, you might have said to yourself, I have read or I have heard this passage a thousand times. We'll make it a thousand and one. And there'll be many things that you have probably heard before. But I've been praying this week that there'd be something maybe different that you hadn't seen before or something that the Spirit is just going to pop out at you that really hasn't struck you before in a certain way. 
So though this might be familiar to you, my encouragement to you is to listen to it with open ears and an open heart. It begins by talking about a new kingdom. Acts 2 is about the power of that kingdom that Jesus brought, the power for a new society, a power for a new way of life. The Old Testament prophets, and some in particular, promised that God, in his timing, would send the Holy Spirit on all people, not just a few, but on all people, in such a way that the whole creation would be shaken up by the coming of the Spirit in this way. And it is this power that moves forward the values of the kingdom and the practice of the church. Sometimes we think power comes from our own inner being, our own will, our own determination. That somehow if we want change to happen in me or change to happen in a group I'm a part of or change to happen in the church that I'm at, somehow I've got to just dig down deep and muster up the strength and the energy to help make that change happen. And yet, early on, at the very beginning, at the formation of the church in Acts chapter 2, it is the power of the Spirit that brings about the new kingdom and the church. We see it in Peter's words where he spoke boldly, change your life, come to God, surrender to him, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for God longs for you and your children and for many who are far off to come to the Lord holy and completely. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit who spoke through Peter's words that brought a conviction to people so that 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus. Part of the amazement of that story when we get to Acts chapter 2 is that we've probably read through the Gospels because the Gospels consistently portray Jesus' disciples as a bunch of slow-minded bumblers who never quite fully realize who he is. And before we start to wag our finger at them, you know what I'm going to say. And they, as bumblers, they abandon him so quickly as soon as he got into trouble. But at Pentecost, when they received the Holy Spirit, these same slow, timid, bumbling disciples became utterly fearless. Utterly fearless. They proclaimed the good news of Jesus in front of crowds. They didn't care what the neighbors would think. They were glad to stand before powerful rulers. They would heal sick people. They would exercise demons. And they would go to jail gladly so that they could sing the praises of God in the prisons so that the very foundations would be shaken. It was a different way of life than they had known before because they had received through Jesus the coming of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's a new kingdom. 
And then we come to Acts chapter 2 and the formation of the church. The church wasn't the brainchild of disciples who were trying to figure out a way. So how are we going to help take care of these 3,000 people who responded to the good news of Jesus? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to take care of ourselves? It wasn't their brainchild at all. It was birthed out of the disciple-making method of Jesus as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because you can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus. They go together. And they decided that they would be devoted to the fellowship. They were going to shift how they viewed relationships and how they would treat each other. Last week I talked about a disciple shift, a shift in how people would become disciples of Jesus. And just let me review that again. And the definition that I used came out of the, the very words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. He says three things. First of all, follow me. Make an intentional decision to follow Jesus because you know who he is and you know what he has done for you. So first of all, make that intentional decision. Secondly, Jesus said, and I will make you. A disciple is someone who is open to change. A disciple is not someone who is content with where they are and who they are. They have been saved by the costly grace of Jesus who gave his life. And when we realize the cost that Jesus gave, how can we remain stagnant? Follow me. I will make you, thirdly, fishers of people. A disciple is one who tells their story to others and gets involved in a relationship to help others tell their story of the difference that Jesus has made. Jesus was, was highly into a relational method of growing and training disciples. The comfort that I gain from this is that if someone decides they really want to be a disciple, they want to make that intentional decision, they want to be open to change, they want to be fishers of people, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. Though a disciple is going to grow in that, what matters is your yieldedness to Jesus. I will let you make that change in me. And because of this shift and how they viewed a disciple, there was a shift in how they viewed fellowship. They were not simply content to be fed once a week. They decided they were going to shift they would move from being fed to helping to feed others. Feeding others physically and feeding others spiritually. 
They decided that mere attendance once a, once a week was not enough. They decided that being moved by the miraculous events that were taking place in the temple courts by the apostles were not enough. These newly baptized followers of Jesus followed the commands of Jesus, and they began to feed each other to be a disciple, and to help make other disciples. They didn't just leave that to the apostles. They became a part of it as well. There was a shift in how they viewed fellowship. They demonstrated a different devotion, starting in Acts chapter 2. Now, many of us are familiar with verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, which goes like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. As we looked at 42, many people have said these are like four corners of a puzzle that they tried to help put together. The apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. I propose to you something different. I propose to you that the primary verb here in verse 42 has to do with the fellowship. And the other three, devotion to the teaching, breaking bread together, and prayer, speak to and point to the fellowship. That's what I propose to you. It says, first of all, they were devoted to the hearing and the obeying of the apostles' teaching. And because of this devotion to the apostles' teaching, they were also devoted to the fellowship, to each other. They were living out the definition of a disciple in the context of fellowship, not on their own. First John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in his light, as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He says, if we, as we live in the light of God's truth, it will lead us to fellowship with one another. From being fed to helping to feed others. Being devoted to the teachings of Jesus leads to being devoted to to one another. And we can't simply separate them and move on because fellowship is more than simply getting along socially. Being devoted to the fellowship is more than simply being nice. It is a deep commonality in Jesus that allows no barriers to keep people apart. 
Last week, I shared a story about Bill. Bill, who is one of the nicest people I have ever met. And yet, there was something about him that was missing. And when he finally, in his retirement, opened his life out up to Jesus to let Jesus come in, though he was one of the nicest people you would meet, he was changed. He was transformed. Because Jesus came to do more than simply make us nice people. But to be devoted to him and to be devoted to one another. Being devoted to the teachings of Jesus leads to being devoted to the fellowship. Researchers like Barna not only point to a decreased church attendance after COVID, but to a decreased involvement in small groups in church. And there's some speculation about why that is. Some of the speculation is that people feel they have enough fellowship already, whether that is through their connections at their vocation, their connections in their neighborhood, their connections with family. They feel like they have enough fellowship. And that's great when you have those connections. Those connections are so important. And it's a gift, isn't it? To have a network, wherever that network is, that is a gift. But not everyone has those networks. Not everyone has those fellowships. And sometimes people say, I'm not going to be committed to a small group with my spiritual fellowship because I already have it. And I propose is not so much of what you receive. Maybe it's more of what you can give. Maybe it's because there are people in our fellowship who don't have those networks. And there's something you can give to someone else in our church family. Being devoted to the teachings of Jesus is what forms the foundation for fellowship as well as the ingredients for fellowship. Being devoted to the teachings of Jesus leads to being devoted to the fellowship. And the fellowship took the words of Jesus. They studied them and they lived them out in community. We have a practice of Fourth Sundays here. We've got another fourth Sunday coming up. In case you haven't noticed, fourth Sunday practices are different than traditional Christian reform gatherings. In case you haven't noticed that, I thought I'd point that out. Uh, sometimes when I'm bold enough, I share what we're doing on fourth Sundays with my colleagues. And I get mixed reviews. But you know what the strongest, and I don't get it from all my colleagues, okay? I, I don't. But there are some colleagues where I get some pushback. And you want to know where I get the strongest pushback on? It's this. 
you are allowing people in your church to lead these groups on Sunday morning, not just to facilitate, but to help teach what the main topic is about? Yes. Because we move from being fed to helping to feed others. And that's what disciples are to do. And believe it or not, it's not about how much you know, but how much you are willing to be yielded to the Spirit's work in your life. It's about forming a new community and what this new community is about. Now, you might hear what I have to say. You might read in Acts chapter 2 about the importance of fellowship, and you might think, okay, I get it. We need to hang out with each other more. I can manage that. I can hang out with these people a little bit more. If I have to, I guess. No, it's really about a shift, a shift of how we view New Testament relationships. I'd like to share with you three ingredients in closing. Are we there yet? I have to gauge my uh, energy level here. I'm doing good. I'd like to share with you in closing uh, three ingredients that bring transformation and change to a fellowship. Some of these might seem obvious. I've heard them before. I pray that you might hear them a little bit differently. Let me share three things that talk about the shift that takes place in the fellowship because of the coming of the Spirit. First of all, they spend time together. Real relationships means that you spend time regularly with others. What it means for us is that we adjust and shift our schedules so that Jesus takes the priority and how and when and where we spend time with others. It involves spending time together. Secondly, they focus their lives on King Jesus. They decided in the context of their community, in the context of their fellowship, that they would focus their lives together on King Jesus and follow where he would lead. He was their Lord, and they would surrender themselves to him. And how they showed care for each other was incredible. It says when there was a need in the fellowship, people took care of their needs. Now, sometimes we read these portions of Acts chapter 2, and we think that people in the church sold everything, and they lived like a commune. It doesn't say that. It says they took the resources they had, and when there was a need in the fellowship, they talked about how they could meet that need. Sometimes it involved, you know, I've got something here that I can give. I've got something that I can sell to provide the resources. And that's how they cared for each other. They gave their resources freely when there was an apparent need in the fellowship. And they would meet together. They would meet together, and to me, that's fellowship. They met together in large groups 
where it says they met in the temple courts, and they met together in small groups, sharing meals in one another homes. They met in the fellowship. All these actions flow and lead to being together in the community of the church. Now later, the church would have to do some organization. We find this in Acts chapter 6, when the widow's needs were not being met. And being a widow back in the first century was far different than today. It would put them in a devastating position, and they would need to be taken care of. And the church rose up to took care of that need. They spent time together. They followed the leading of King Jesus. And thirdly, they were a community of authenticity and honesty. Resources were only available to people who admitted their need. The resources were only available to people who admitted their need. Real fellowship includes a willingness not only to give to others where there is a need, but to allow others to help you in your time of necessity. And that goes for leaders, too. We all need help from time to time. We all need encouragement from time to time. We all need community continually. Is the churches, and I'm talking about the broad church, is the churches lower level of a need for community because we don't need it as much? Because we live in a different culture, it's not as important to us as it was in the first century? Are we too busy? Are we too proud to need the fellowship like they needed in the first century? We need each other. Earlier I mentioned about the fictional characters of Sam and Frodo. We talk about that a little bit more. In the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, Sam and Frodo are on their way to Mount Doom. Mount Doom, and they are getting close. And the closer they get, the weaker they get. And it seems like their strength is being worn out. And in the book, I can't remember if it's in the movie, but in the book, as they get close to Mount Doom, it says, Sam looked up at Mount Doom, and he said, we're going to die. No matter how the story ends with the ring, we are going to die. And in the book, it says the thought came to him, and I'm paraphrasing now. Just lay down, curl up in a ball, and go to sleep. And then the text tells us something begins to happen. And now I quote. But even as hope died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was suddenly turned to a new strength. 
Sam's plain hobbit face turned stern, almost grim, and his will hardened in him, and he felt through all of his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into a new creature, a creature of stone and steel that neither the weight of despair or weariness or endless or barren miles could subdue. Who wants a friend like that? Who says, I will not allow the circumstance to cause us to fail. There were times when Frodo carried Samwise, and times when Samwise carried Frodo, and times when the fellowship carried them all. It's a picture of a fictional journey that speaks of the non-fictional necessity of fellowship. And so that early church, they shared needs, they shared relationship. And it was in these relationships that they reached and changed the world. Ever noticed in the Gospels when Jesus sent people out? How did he send them out? He sent them out in to never alone. Yeah, they spent time alone fellowshipping with the Father. Jesus did that, right? They followed his example. But when the time came to do the business, they did it in community. Let's shift from being content to being burned out as I try to do things on my own to a community of deeper fellowship with each other that learns how to give and how to receive. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this world. We thank you for the love of this world and the love that you have. The love that you have that breaks barriers. The love that is around all parts of this globe. Your love that has brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the corners. And Father, we know that there are still certain corners of this world that have not heard the gospel. And we pray for Christian organizations and ministries that continues to bring the gospel. We lift up one of those ministries, the ministry of door, of deaf outreach, and we pray, Lord, that you will bless them as they bring the good news of Jesus to the corners of the world and to an important unreached people group, the deaf. We pray, Father God, for the gospel to reach the corners of the world. And we pray for the needs that the corners of the world have, where there have been wars and our wars that continues to bring devastation, where there are natural disasters that are wreaking havoc in corners of the world. Father, we pray that you would bring the peace of the Prince of Peace to the people who desperately need it, and you would continue to raise up your church and even more strongly, Father God, to meet the needs 
of this world that you love so deeply. And Father, we pray for the community of your church here called Discovery. We lift up our needs and our cares to you. We lift up the Sternberg family in the passing away of Mary's mother-in-law, Carolyn. I said that wrong. And Mary's stepmother, Carolyn. We thank you for the impact that Carolyn had upon the family. We pray for Mary and Bruce and their children and their extended family in this loss. We give you thanks and praise, Father God, that she is in your presence and the comfort that that gives and at the same time, the hole that is left behind. We pray, Lord, for uh, Mary and for their family in this loss. We pray for Sid's dad and the impact that the cancer is having. We pray that you will provide the necessary treatment, the necessary information, if there's still more information that needs to be gathered. We pray, Lord, for healing, but we also pray, Lord, for your grace and for your strength to be with the family. We pray, Lord, that as they journey this together, that they will find a mercy that this world knows nothing about. We pray that that would rest upon them. We pray for Jeff as he has traveled to a region that has been devastated by wildfire. We pray, Lord, you will bless him in his training and bless him in his interaction that he has with people who have suffered devastating loss. We rejoice with the Quinlan family of little baby Calvin coming home from the hospital after a few days there. We pray, Lord, that you would bring the healing and the health that Calvin needs. We pray for Sue and her recovery. We thank you that she's strong enough to be with us, but we pray, Lord, that you will help her to gain strength. Help her, to, Lord, to uh, find healing from the uh, infection of shingles that the, she has. We pray for Joe and Pam and David. We pray, Lord, for the family and for the needs that each person has. We thank you that a place has been found for all of them, a place to live. And we pray, Father God, that you would bring uh, the necessary uh, answers to the needs that they have. And moving forward, they would continue to find grace and comfort in you. We join with Gail in praying for her family. We join with Ken in praying for his family. We pray, Father God, that you would be with families in need. We pray for Luke Van Heitzma in his search for a teaching position in the Twin Cities area. We pray, Lord, that you will give him the opportunity not just to teach but to invest in the lives of young people that he has a passion for. We pray for the groats and the safe travel for their relatives that there is still more traveling to be done. We pray, Lord, that you will bless the interaction that they have and have had, that they would have seen Jesus not only in them, but in their family, in their friends, in their connections. We pray, Lord, for 
the upcoming yard sale this Saturday. We pray for an opportunity to meet our neighbors and an opportunity to share joy, to share conversation. We pray, Lord, you will give us the opportunity to share love. We pray that you will use this uh, gathering, this event, as an opportunity simply to share the love of Jesus. We pray for the broader Grand Rapids area in the upcoming Send gathering in two weeks. We pray, Lord, especially for our young people that they will be able to attend and be a part of this gathering. We pray, Lord, that you will lift up the necessary leaders to help provide a time where people can hear not just the good news of Jesus, but willing to go and grow as a disciple and all that's involved with that. We pray for our neighbors. We pray specifically today and this week for Sunview Drive. We pray that you will give to them a double blessing, and we pray that they would know that that blessing comes from you. We bless you for this day. We thank you again for being able to be outside, uh, to be gathered even under the shade of a tree, the shade of a tent. We thank you that wherever we are, wherever we gather, you are in our midst, and we come to worship you and to open ourselves up to you that you would work and move within us. We lift up these prayers and the prayers of others in our community, others that are here right now. We lift them up silently to you, for we know that you hear them and you respond. We pray that you, are, you will hear all of our prayers. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen.